Sustainable, the podcast, is listened to in 20 countries over five continents and features inspiring interviews with leaders of sustainable practices. With your host, Tabby Jane, CEO and founder of EarthSelf, creating a global movement to educate leaders and organizations on the transformative power of nature-centered business. In episode 58, I spoke with Otto Ruchlin, founder of Peer Accounting Services in the Netherlands, on the importance of diversity in the workplace. Today, I'm speaking to Robert Eden. Robert Eden is the co-owner of Chateau Maris, a biodynamic wine estate located in the south of France. Robert has lived in France since 1994, after travelling in Australia, Italy, Burgundy, Spain and California, where he worked with renowned winemakers. Since 1997, Robert has pursued organic and biodynamic viticulture at Chateau Maurice. Robert has been actively involved in the protection of the environment, going so far as to build the first hemp cellar that passively consumes CO2. He regularly presents on the advantages of biodynamic viticulture and the importance of taking steps to reduce the impact on the environment in the wine industry. Welcome, Robert. It is great to have you on Sustainable Today. Thank you. So can we start by getting you to tell us the story behind Chateau Maurice and why you decided to run the vineyard on biodynamic principles? Yes, Chateau Maurice we, we, we bought in... 1997 and it is what is known as a village domain that means to say that it has a house in the village and its vineyards are dotted around the outside of the village so it's not a beautiful chateau with rolling vineyards surrounding the chateau this means that as a property it didn't appeal at the time in 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 the late 90s to the foreign tourist buyer in the south of France, but it did appeal to me because the, the 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 vineyards dotted around the village had slightly different altitudes, slightly different microclimates, uh, slightly different ecosystems, and I rather liked being able to have grapes coming from different parcels of different vineyards dotted around the village, and um, it was that that led me to make rather a quick purchase because. Nobody else wanted it. It was relatively cheap. To be honest with you, I'd been working in the wine trade for, you know, some 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 17 years prior, and I thought I knew what I was doing. But I realized quickly afterwards, in fact, in the 1997 vintage, that the grapes that I was tasting, because I go around and I, before we pick the grapes, I actually walk the vineyards and taste the grapes to see if they're ripe and how they're tasting. They tasted disgusting. And so I said, what's going wrong here? And then I started to look further. Then I started to do the work which I should have done before purchasing. And I realized that the soil was in very bad condition. In fact, the previous owner had many other jobs and only one of his jobs was being a viticulturalist. And and he had been uh, uh, plowing in chemical fertilizer and pouring on chemical pesticides to his vineyards. And thus he had created a sterile dead zone in which we had very sick vines living in what was dead soil. How was I going to go about 
tackling this problem. <laughs> I could sell the domain and run, or, or, or I could try and say, no, we must, you know, we must try and make something out of this. We must try and redo it. We must try and rejuvenate life back into the soil to give the vines a, a chance to uh, recuperate themselves and regenerate themselves in a in a live, healthy uh, 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 environment. Um, one of the only ways of rejuvenating life back into the soil is by bringing live matter. What type of live matter? Well, composted manure is the best way of doing it. Okay, so what's composted manure? Do we just get a pile of manure and leave it in the corner and wait for it to decompose? Or, or is there an art to this? Yes, an art. There are many types of art, actually. And one of those methods is the biodynamic method which requires you to add uh, biodynamic preparations, uh, small homeopathic doses of them, to the compost pile um, and, 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 and then uh, leave the, the process to, to act um, over the period that it does, eight to ten months. And so we did this actually um, uh, purchasing literally thousands of tons of manure um, from cow farms in the Pyrenees Mountains, um, which is about an hour and a half away from our domain. And we, we, we asked the Chamber of Agriculture, France has good institutions, Chamber of Ag local Chamber of Agriculture is one of them. And we asked them to take an analysis of the manure uh, uh, when it arrived. And then we left one pile, which we just laid out in exactly the same way, so about you know uh, uh, two meters wide, two meters high, ten meters long, covered in straw, and and then the other pile right next to it, we laid it out in exactly the same way, but we added the biodynamic preparations according to the the, the biodynamic method. Then we asked the Chamber of Agriculture to come back and to test to take samples of both piles, and they did, and three years in a row, the uh, uh, biodynamic pile registered uh, uh, many more microorganisms per square centimeter and also uh, uh, a much higher nitrogen content. And just in, in, in general, the, the, the conclusion at the end was this was a much more potent, better fertilizer than the other pile. So, wow, if this biodynamic method can do it to a pile of shit... Right. Imagine how we can expand this. Imagine what else it can do. Let's investigate further what this biodynamic method really is about. So that's what stimulated us. Basically, we had this problem. We had to rejuvenate life back into the soil. And we discovered the biodynamic principles by making biodynamic compost. Wow. Okay, so that, that that's a great starting point, and I'm 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 laughing at that because I mean I mean I'm even going I've I've written down you know the art of manure making. Who would have thought there's an art to making manure? Yeah, <laughs> but there is. So you started off with um, the biodynamic manure. So then, what were some of the other challenges that you had in converting the original vineyards into organic and biodynamic vineyards? Because you've obviously started with the manure, but how did you complete this transition? Well, the most the, uh, the, there's a couple of difficulties. The, the first one is understanding that um, organics and uh, even more so biodynamics is not a lackadaisical form of culture. 
It's a very disciplined form of culture. Just because it's closer to nature, that doesn't mean to say that it loses its discipline. It is a very rigorous form of culture. And so um, it's also quite difficult to believe. Uh, when somebody says to you that it's going to be better for the compost pile if you take homeopathic doses of uh, the bark of an oak tree, um, the dried flower of a dandelion, uh, the dried flower of yarrow, the dried uh, 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 um, leaf of, of singing nettle, right? Uh, and you into the compost pile. So it's going to make a huge difference. That is quite difficult to believe in the first instance. And um, I'm not doing this by myself. I have a team. Chattamaris is a 50-hectare estate, so that's, all, all, you know, almost it's 150 acres, right? So I am uh, uh, having to work with my uh, colleagues uh, who are being asked to uh, uh, spray uh, um, particular herbs, you know, particular preparations onto the vineyards and believe that this will be better. And that, uh, um, in order to encourage them, because uh, it's not a nine-to-five job all of a sudden. It's a job which uh, requires you uh, as much as you possibly can um, uh, to follow uh, a, a calendar. And this this calendar um, actually... Uh, uh, you know, requires us sometimes to work on Sundays, sometimes to work on Saturdays, sometimes to work at uh, five o'clock in the morning, sometimes to work at 10 o'clock at night. And that's quite difficult to, you know, persuade people to do. Um, and one of the things we did was we decided to, you know, in one of the spaces on our property to have a little vegetable patch. And we followed these uh, principles by in growing carrots, so we were, we were we were sowing carrots in prepared soil. Uh, uh, we were sowing them at different times of uh, 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 the calendar, uh, some which were supposed to be the best times, others which were supposed not to be so good. And then we'd harvest them all at the same time, and we'd actually juice them and taste the juice blind, not knowing which, you know, carrot was which, as it were, you know, which one was planted on the day according to that, and which one was planted on the day according to this. And and all we were interested in was which one tastes the, the best. Same variety of carrot in the same soil, just planted at different times. Why? Because we want to know if there really is an impact with working with this calendar, the calendar which shows you lunar cycles, the calendar which shows you planetary influences uh, uh, with regards to the lunar cycle, um, and the calendar which is giving you fructification uh, information, you know, which part of the plant is most receptive uh, at, on this particular day, at this particular time of the month, etc. And in doing that a couple of times, that, that, that helped us gain confidence that in what we were doing was not some, you know, hysterical, made-up, you know, voodoo magic, but 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 was a real method because we really saw the results uh, uh, very close to us uh, with uh, with our little carrot patch. Um, so I think that was the that was probably the biggest challenge was 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 trying to make ourselves, trying to allow ourselves 
to believe in the process before we actually saw the results ourselves. Mm. But I mean, I, I love it because I mean, what you're saying here is we started off with one experiment with the manure and then we said, OK, there's something in this. So we did another experiment. And again, it's this this whole thing of when we're trying to do something really different, it's it's taking these small experiments to see what the results are. And that gives you more confidence to then make the switch to a whole vineyard, you know, done on biodynamic principles. Exactly. No, I love that. And I also love what you say there. You know, it's very disciplined. Sometimes I think we have a perception that when we're talking about things that are more natural and closer to nature, there's a, you know, they're not as disciplined and there's not as much work and rigour that goes into it. And I think what you're highlighting there is when we are working in the rhythms and in harmony with the natural environment, sometimes it can be more challenging to do so. Exactly. Nature, na na nature actually writes the recipe. That's the thing, and 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 it, and it's not a fool. I mean, I mean, you can see now, for instance, right? We we start getting rhubarb and 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 spinach. Um, actually, try and try and try and put some rhubarb and spinach together. It's actually delicious. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> try and do it, and that's funny because they grow very well together. Uh, they, they 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 both ripen at the same time. But it's, it's, it's nature has written that recipe. Mm. Not foolish. When you when 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 you take the deeper meaning of things and 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 you you can see that this is not some uh, uh, you know fluke. This is actually real design. Mm -hmm. Then you start listening closer to what nature is actually saying, yeah. and realizing it's it's discipline. I like that. I think that's a really, really great quote. When we listen closer to the deeper meaning of nature and, and really tap into what it's saying, we recognise the design, the intelligence inherent within it, and we're able to start following it. Yeah. So then what are the positive impacts and benefits that you are seeing through using the biodynamic methods, not just in your wines, but also as a result in your business? Yeah, I think the first the, the major the, the major development was that we came to understand that the plant is a living being with a soul spirit equal to our own mm. so all of a sudden we weren't looking at the plant from the position of the dominant species we were looking at the plant equal to us we were looking at the plant, understanding its uh, 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 sensitivity, understanding its potential of sensitiveness, um, and that that really opened a whole new chapter in all our lives. That 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 you know that was a life changing moment for everybody who worked um, on the estate. It it, it it is a moment when you come to realise that. Here is a here is a living being which is which is listening to us, which is feeling, feeling our actions. Yeah. Uh, and we what 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 do we want? What do we want from this living being? What does this living being want from us? And we want healthy, ripe fruit. That's what's going to make great wine. Mm -hmm. um, so that that was it. That was a huge step. 
um, and 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 it oh it, it changes your view uh, on 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 nature as a whole, but it changes your view in particular on individual plants and 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 individual plant life and and how they may be connecting to other plants and and how they may be feeling from what you uh, yeah uh, the actions that you are taking um, uh, uh, on the plant itself or in its surrounding environment. Um, and then, as a business, it it it, it, um, it expanded us into a more uh, uh, yeah awareness of our own community, awareness of our own local ecosystem. Uh, uh, so where we were living, that's what actually drove us eventually to go for a what's known as a B Corps certification. Um, which actually uh, uh, requires us uh, uh, not only uh, not only to be farmers respecting the environment, but humans respecting our community, humans working with our community, having members of our staff um, who are bilingual, uh, taking time during work hours to go and teach English in a local school, having members of our staff who during work hours will go and take time to uh, uh, do certain actions with inside the local old people's home. Um, you know, uh, uh, doing events, our staff doing events where they are running a half marathon uh, for uh, uh, disabled farmers uh, uh, from um, farming accidents, etc. So I think that's the way, it, it, first of all, it, it, it woke us up to the, 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 the spirituality of the plant, if you like. It, it, it brought us literally down to earth understanding that that vines were no longer a production unit but actually you know very true living beings with a feeling similar to our own and 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 that we were no longer the dominant species and that we could extend this understanding into our into our community yeah it's it, it's really kind of quite powerful when you're talking there because I mean I know for some people listening to actually even cons you know think of a plant as a living being with a soul and spirit of its own is kind of quite a big stretch and you know you're talking about that was as you were working with the plant that was your biggest shift but what I'm hearing from this it's almost as if what the plant has then taught you is well here I am within my ecosystem as part of a community and there is this balance and there's this relationship and if you want to work with me you almost have to do the same thing yep exactly right that's that's, that, that's exactly it. and 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 it's it, it's great to be able to understand that you are no longer the controller mm. that, that you were just part of the system and hopefully helping in with your actions and the actions that you are taking you're no longer the the driver of the destiny of all right you were just simply part of it and 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 everything is giving you responses and helping you as well so it's not a one way dialogue yeah yeah very much an exchange I like that. So it's, it's a true partnership, what you're talking about. And that's been the biggest shift into your business, a true partnership and recognising that we're all part of, a, you know, part of this system that's functioning together. Yeah. So then you have also built, and I, I mentioned this to you, I'm really excited about this. You've also built an environmentally friendly carbon neutral hemp brick cellar, which is the first of its kind in its world. So how did you get this idea why did you why were you inspired to do this and how does this contribute 
to the sustainable winemaking that you're doing, but also how does it contribute to that idea of being part of the system and, you know, keeping that balance and that um, dialogue and communication within the ecosystem? Well, it started from the, the, the I had built a, a cellar and um, I realized that I wasn't feeling good inside the building and uh, especially at harvest time. And it, it was pretty simple reflection at that time to understand that, well, here we are cultivating in the way we're cultivating. Um, it is wrong to treat these grapes in this particular way, bringing them into this environment. That's why I'm feeling the imbalance. So I went on, on the search for what I wanted to build was a neutral space. I didn't want any external, uh, uh, chemically made, man-made you know, energies coming in, interrupting a natural process, which is fermentation after all. Um, so how was I going to do this? And I, I, I researched a, a, a lot of different methods and ideas. I was also looking to try and push myself to uh, really uh, make sure that the result that we chose was a 360-degree respectable result, i.e. Uh, it wasn't only uh, a respectable once the building was up. But actually, the whole building process was also respecting the environment. Um, the whole origin of it was respecting the environment. And uh, eventually, I met um, some people who were working on hemp bricks. And they were using the straw from hemp, which they, 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 they de-dusted. Then they were adding uh, lime, hydraulic lime. And then they were mixing that with a molasses-based fixer. Um, and then pouring that through a mold and then leaving the brick to dry. And uh, the brick it, it still acted as a, uh, a, a fill-in, if you like, for, of the building. It was the, the insulator, it was the, it was the wall of the building, but it, it wasn't the support structure. The support structure is wood. And... Um, so we're looking at this method. Anyway, we decided to <laughs> we decided to go for it. And uh, the properties of hemp uh, are very interesting. Uh, it, it, it actually uh, remains alive. Uh, it breathes. It exchanges. Um, its U values and its R values are exceptional. Um, it has very good acoustics inside. It feels good. Um, and we, I like the idea that I could have this building and have no air temperature control systems running on the inside, so that uh, 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 in in actual fact the uh, the air on the inside was not being modified by a mechanical energy consuming process. Um, I like the fact that it was coming from hemp. Hemp, you know, very easy to grow, very good for the soil. Uh, uh, no pesticides needed, no fertilizers needed, no irrigation needed in where it was growing. I like the fact that we were using the waste product, we were using the straw of hemp, so all the other parts of the plant had been used, so we are using the waste side of it. Um, I like the fact that afterwards, uh, uh, the brick itself, which it is doing now with inside the building, where it has a lime render on the outside, is actually carbonating, and therefore it is hardening and therefore it is consuming CO2. Um, uh, so 
I like the fact that the building itself with hemp and wood is, for all intents and purposes, a vegetable building. We can pull the whole thing down tomorrow, cut the wood up and reuse the wood for some sort of energy form or burn it or reuse the wood for other support structures or whatever, and we can just break up all the bricks and plow it back into the vineyards. In fact, it'd be good for the soil. So I like that fact. It's a totally recyclable building. Um, it's a vegetable building. I said, you know, there's no there's no metal support systems. There's no conductive metal inside it. It's it's a completely neutral space, uh, regulating its own temperature. Um, so all that led me to build this building. Yes, the first of its kind in the world. And yes, it was an <laughs> an interesting experience. <laughs> I can imagine. There were some ups and downs, shall we say. Um, but, and I wouldn't suggest anybody to be a pioneer. Copy it, much easier. <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, but we made it, and it's standing, and it works. And, uh, um, you know, we're happy. We're happy in it. We, we believe the, 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 the juice uh, is happy in it. We, we, we're, we, uh, the, the wine accolades which we've received from uh, a third party uh, have grown since we've moved into this cellar. Um, they've got better and better. So that's encouraging as well. Um, yeah, we're, we're in a... We're in a lucky space, actually. We've got a we've got a beautiful natural building which uses very little energy, used very little energy to build, uh, and uh, and and seems to be a, a space which respects all the actions and the processes which we're taking in the fields. Yeah. And I, I, I like it what you, you, you said there as well, though, is and the accolades that we're getting for our wine just keep on improving since we've done that. You know, we've created this space and that's the only thing that we've done that's different. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, I, I love that. What, what, what better way of getting proof than saying, yes, the, the, the wine tastes better from this. Um, so what advice would you give to others who are wanting to explore organic and biodynamic farming? I would say don't hesitate. I would say uh, um, realize that, as we've said earlier, right, that this is not a lackadaisical form. It's not about just letting everything grow. Remember, we are cultivators. Remember, we have been cultivators for uh, several generations. Um, that means to say that you can't just leave the safe door open and let things grow and see how it happens, right? You, you you are part of the system. Uh, don't don't forget that. It's just it's just uh, rearranging your part. It's 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 re it's readapting your impact. Um, so so and uh, yes, once once you can respect that, once you can understand that, um, it's 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 uh, it's not a necessarily a difficult process to do it's not like we're having to move house and change all our machinery and turn the whole thing upside down take it slowly do one plot at a time in the beginning don't try and perhaps convert the whole farm practice do micro experiments in your gardens you know watch it do tests Re require yourself to get some you know results don't require those results to be you know massively conclusive just require those results to be better what you're doing today and understand that quite frankly right we must stop polluting so if you are polluting today 
right? You need to stop and find another way of working so you don't continue to pollute. That's as simple as that. Yeah. And I like it. And you've you, you've made it really easy for people to get started. You know, it's like, don't hesitate. Get started now. Just take it slowly, bit by bit. Keep doing those micro experiments and keep on looking for results that are better than what you're doing already. Yeah. Cool. So then who do you most admire and why then, Robert? Um, that's funnily um, quite an easy question to answer. Um, the person I most admire is Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. and uh, she's somebody she she's somebody I, uh, uh, whose work I have tried my best to support for a few decades, and um, she's somebody who uh, um, left her left her daily life. I mean, in the first instance, she went out against the grain and made discoveries and stood up for the discoveries that she made. I mean, she basically redefined man. When she discovered that a chimpanzee used tools at that particular time, we're talking in the late 1960s, the scientists did, believed that the only intelligent animal on earth was the human. Mm. And so the only one capable of using a tool was the human. And she proved that this was not the case, that other animals had intelligence. And she went on to prove that other animals, that chimpanzees can laugh, that chimpanzees can cry, that chimpanzees can feel sad. Emotions which we never believed possible, and certainly from a scientific point of view, we didn't acknowledge were possible in other animals other than humans. So... That was enormously brave to give her, 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 the chimpanzees which she was studying names instead of, you know, code numbers was also life changing uh, uh, for people who have come after her and and do similar studies today. So for me, that was it was uh, she she's. She's yeah, it's groundbreaking stuff, and she's changed the the way we the way we look at other species on this earth, and she she realized that there were uh, uh, chimpanzees being mistreated uh, in captivity, and she has not ceased since she realized that day. She gave up where she was living. She gave up all she was doing. She gave up her passion to go and defend. Uh, uh, the right for these animals to not be treated in this particular way. And I think that's enormously courageous and enormously helpful to humankind to have people like her uh, demonstrating to us what we all should be doing and, and, and how we should be all, you know, realizing, as she says, regularly, every little bit matters. Mm. Everybody counts. So just try every day to do your little bit and that will make a difference. Hmm. So for me, that's somebody very admirable. Yeah, no. And I think you've given a beautiful explanation of um, why um, I'm really connecting. And I I like just that last message there. If we all just do our little bit every day, then that leads up to something really powerful. Exactly, exactly. And and powerful not only for the for for what's what's around us, but powerful for our own selves as well. Hmm. Good for our own soul as well. 
And if our own soul is in a good state, right, it helps it helps attract other souls to become in a good state as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's, it's fascinating because I, I, I studied my background is in um, eco psychology. And one of the common assumptions within that um, area of study is that, you know, there is this interconnectedness between humanity and the earth and whatever is happening within humanity is also happening within the earth. And I'm very much hearing that kind of come out from what you're talking about. If we if we, we focus on what's good for our soul, we help other people own what's good for them. And then we help that as a turn turn out to be good for the environment as well through this symbiotic relationship this partnership that we have with the ecosystem yes and keeping that in perspective that 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 this is about now that that if there is a you know magnetic magnetic shift if there is some uh, you know different action which takes place within the cosmos you know that is beyond us right uh, um, so, so yes, we're not important probably in the greater scheme of things and in the long term of things, right? But we are important today as part of what's happening today. Mm-hmm. And that's why it can only be good to take this route. Yeah. And I like it because, I mean, you've, you've brought it right back to what's important is now and what we're doing now. Never mind about what potentially is happening in the future or anything else. It's what can you do today, right now? Yeah, exactly. So what is one of your most favourite memories of a time or place in nature, Robert, and why? That is a difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) That is a difficult one. That is a difficult one because perhaps there are so many, but I think that, um, and and I've been lucky in that, uh, uh, you will often find that uh, even looking in books that, that vines uh, uh, do grow in absolutely astonishingly beautiful places. Um, uh, so I've been very lucky to, to, to witness a lot of extreme natural beauty. Uh, I would probably say that the easiest is that um, where I really love is lying down on a bed of leaves, looking up at the sky through branches of trees and... Uh, just being at peace with there, being fully stretched on the earth and yet being connected by the majestic trees and, and their life and, and what they're breathing and what they're saying to you and how they're feeling and uh, the noise, the wind, you know, the, the movement of them. All that is, 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 a, is an immense, immense pleasure for me. And uh, I am lucky to be able to, to, to give myself the time to, uh, uh, to do that uh, quite regularly. So mm. Awesome. So, when you're having one of those favourite moments, and I, I love the, the the vividness of the image because there's so many times that I have lined, lain down in the middle of a forest on the ground and looked up through the branches and studied the sky, so I can I can really relate to some of the experiences that I've had there. But how do these experiences influence and impact your own commitment to sustainability? Yeah, I think the first the first aspect of it is you you. I have children, uh, and I, I think that you really want to, there's something which gets communicated to you which says to you, I hope they have the chance to feel this. I hope they have the chance to see this. I hope they have the chance to, you know, experience this. Um, so 
that that's certainly for for future generations and and you want the trees to be go on to to be able to go on living in peace it's such a peaceful moment that you're experiencing with nature you want that peace to be able to continue so you want to continue to strive to do this good and 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 practice the, the, the these methods which which you know seem uh, and 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 seemingly provenly you know are evidently less harmful than than others um you want to continue doing it uh, so that future generations may experience and do it themselves hmm yeah, and I, I think that's the most beautiful way. There's a peace that comes from that connection, and I want to be able to ensure that that peace can be experienced by others. Yeah, yeah. So what is the one thing that you want people to take away from to our today's conversation then, Robert? Uh, well, I wouldn't have, I, you know, I'd I, I, I try not to be, um, <laughs> um, how do you say, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, take away what you wish, take away what you want. Uh, um, but at the same time, yeah, um, in, in, enjoy it and, and realize that it's possible. Right. That's that's it. Realize that it's possible. Realize that it is possible to to connect with nature. Realize that it is possible to work with nature and, and still remain an, a human being. It's, it, it, it's our choice. We, we can make that choice choice and 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 we can live that choice without having to go to some far off land and become a hermit we can live that choice and we can introduce that choice to others and enjoy that choice with others hmm that's brilliant um that's a great reminder thank you so much for speaking to me today robert it's a pleasure it was good thank you if listening to the show has inspired you to find out more about nature-centred business, go to www.earthself.org and click on the Nature Centred tab. And as always, if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please get in touch. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to Marla Bergener, founder of Green Grow Web, which specialises in the gamification of sustainability. And we're talking about how organisations can use apps to create a culture of sustainability and embed the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals into their operations. New episodes of Sustainable are released every Tuesday. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud. Get them sent straight to your inbox by signing up at www.earthself.org. Or come on over and join the conversation on our LinkedIn podcast page.